Thank you, worship team. It's wonderful. Countering the presence of the Lord. Wow. I, still, I don't know about you, but I still get really excited about worship and about encountering God. There's just something about it that is just, wow. And here we are in but a shadow of what it will be then. <laughs> Ooh, it's going to be some party. Hallelujah. Right then. Um, so today's message is called Paraclesis. Who cares? Um, we're starting a series now for six weeks that's going to run, si- run, run alongside our small group uh, material, and the material is called Paraclesis. And I'll go into what that means in a minute. But um, what we share on a Sunday will be expanded upon, hopefully within your small groups, and uh, you'll get a chance to discuss, debate, pray, um, and consider the things that we're bringing. Because we want this to form part of uh, the direction and culture of the church going forward. So what is paraclesis? Uh, Paraclesis is the anglicized transliteration of two Greek words, para and kaleo. Para means coming alongside others, and uh, kaleo means uh, for help, imploration, supplication, entreaty, exhortation, encouragement, consolation, comfort, solace, that which affords comfort or refreshment. Thank you, Tony. So, paraclesis essentially is what we want to see as an expression of loving community within the church. Namely, that in the journey of life, we know how to come alongside each other with a view to other-centered living. In other words, we are not people who are meant to be solely self-centered, solely after the me, myself, and I, but rather we are to be other-centered, preferring others above ourselves and caring for one another with genuine compassion, support, and concern. And remember, the, the, the word paraclesis has um, uh, the, root, the root of that. From the root of that, we get the, the word paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit, the advocate or the comfort uh, of God as well. So within, within the Holy Spirit, of course, this is where we get the capacity to be able to do these things. But now I want you to go to... Luke chapter 10, because here I think is where Jesus uh, gives us one of the clearest examples of what paraclesis looks like. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So if you've been around church for any length of time, you're going to have heard that story before, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think, as I said, it's one of the clearest teachings and examples that Jesus gives us of of how God expects us to treat others, our neighbor, in other words. But I want to draw your attention to several things in this passage. The priest and the Levite were part of the religious people of the day. They were, if you like, in in modern day parlance, the churchgoers of the day. But they were not the villains of this story. Okay, It's really easy to think of them as the bad guys. But the bad guys in this story were the robbers that set upon the guy in the first place, right? Let's not forget that. Okay, It's really important. The priest and the Levites perhaps perhaps represent people like us. People that perhaps were busy, preoccupied with life, caught up with the demands of life, demands of work, the pace of life which is relentless. These were not inherently evil people. But perhaps their busyness and self-absorption made them bad neighbours. Not bad people, but perhaps bad neighbours. The Samaritan, on the other hand, was considered an outsider. Outside of the promises of God, outside of the community of faith, outside of social structures, and to be rejected by any God-fearing Jew. But for me, this story is not just about what the Samaritan did. I think this story shows us something much bigger than that. Because we can all do a selfless act from time to time, right? We can all pat ourselves on the back and say, you know what? I really came through that time. That was just amazing. No, I think what Jesus is getting at here is that this is the cost that we're to bear in our hearts of loving our neighbor. And or if you like... You know, we know what the scripture says. He who says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. We know that we cannot love the God that we can't see if we can't love the brother or the neighbor that we do. Scripture, I think, is quite clear on that, that love for God is expressed by love for neighbor. In fulfilling the great commandments, loving God and love our neighbor... This is God's compass setting for us. The Samaritan demonstrates the direction that we must go in if we want to be serious about loving our neighbor with genuine compassion and care. It is a a compass point. It is a direction that is set. And the priest and the Levite didn't manage to do it that time. They were indifferent and detached. But we see in this that the Samaritan stepped out of his comfort zone because it would have been a big deal for a Samaritan to tend to a Jew. This would have been outside of his social norm and his 
comfort zone to do this. But instead of worrying about what others thought, instead of worrying about what it might cost, he was moved with compassion to act, to do something. Martin Luther King Jr. says of this passage, the first question that the priest and Levi asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Other-centeredness, thinking of others instead of thinking solely for yourself. This is what it means to be parakaleo, paraklesis. The antithesis of paraklesis is self-focused living. In 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 to 5 in the Message Bible it reads, All praise to God and Father, all praise to the God and Father of our Master Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercies, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but none more so, uh, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. So we see God himself operates in paraclesis. How many of us can testify that when we're going through a hard time, we can sense the manifest presence of God here alongside us? Amen? Now, the great thing about being filled by that presence is that you then get to pour it out to other people. That comfort isn't just for you. Maybe in that moment it is. But as you are filled and refilled and energized and comforted and consoled, you know what? You then become a vessel by which you can then do that for somebody else. I think that genuine care for one another is one of the greatest examples of love that we can undertake. And it's easy to say, I love you, but it's a massive difference between saying it and doing it. Is there not? The ones that genuinely love, they're the ones that are there for you, stick by you, help and support you, and enter into your joy and your pain. They rejoice with you when you rejoice and they weep with you when you weep. It is a high cost pathway because it costs you time, effort, resources, energy. The low cost way, a more urban vernacular, the fob off way if you like, looks a little like this. Sounds a little like this. Don't worry brother, God's in control. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll work out. Have you heard that before? It'll happen for you one day. I'll be praying for you, brother. These remarks sound spiritual, don't they? But oftentimes, it's a type of fake concern that comes when someone in that moment just cannot pay the high-cost way, the high-cost way of being alongside you, standing alongside you, weeping with you, when you really need them. And before you know it, we become like the priest 
and the Levite passing by the other side. When confronted with the enormity of the care someone else requires, there is a choice in our heart. Will we be like Cain? Am I my brother's keeper? Or will we be like Christ? Behold your son. And to his disciple he turned and said, Behold your mother. Christ was always seeking to connect people. But we sometimes seek to disconnect from one another. And you know what? It's not, I'm not, I'm not saying this because these things are inherently evil. To have time to yourself is not evil. <laughs> but to live in a self-centered way is. Other-centered living. We see the same attitude in Luke 15. In the parable of the prodigal son, when the older brother says, But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father responded to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. See, we're too quick sometimes to wash our hands of our brothers and sisters. Not realizing that the Father still expects us to treat them as brothers and sisters. They don't stop being family, ever. So are you your brother's keeper? Well, according to Father, yes, you are. Yes, I am. And that's really important because unless we can start to see each other as brothers and sisters, as the family of God, then we won't value each other the way that God values his children. You know, unless um, you're in a broken family, then family to me demonstrates the highest cost way of relating to one another. As a dad, I am there for my kids. I am there for my wife. There is nothing that I wouldn't do for them, right? I'm sure you could say the same. I'm there for my sisters and my brother-in-law. When they need me, I am there at attention, ready to go. But you also are my brothers and sisters. You aren't just colleagues in an organization. You aren't just people that I see once in a while. According to God, I am your keeper because I am your brother and you're my brother and you're my sister. And I have a duty to care for you and you have a duty to care for me. This is other-centered living. This is paraclesis in action. But surely there's a balance here. Because it's not possible to deeply care for everyone. There's not enough capacity in our lives to be able to do so. But neither can we assume that it's somebody else's job to care for the people that we can't. And this is where being led by the Holy Spirit is paramount. I believe that God gives us people that we're to have deep relationship with. That we are to care for deeply. I don't know how many that might be, but I like the model that I see in Scripture with Jesus, 12. 
He took 12. He didn't take 1,000. He may have ministered to 1,000, but he deeply, deeply related to 12, and even more deeply to three. Maybe that's a natural capacity for care. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And what I do know is that if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, that God will open the doors of, of opportunity for us to deeply care for others. It just will happen. And whether we choose to respond or not will, de- will be determined often by how sensitive we are to the Holy Spirit's leadings. If we will grow in sensitivity, if we will keep going back to the source to be filled, then we will have the capacity to be able to care. And the converse is true. If we never go to the source, if we never relate to God in the right way, then we are empty vessels and nothing can be drawn out of an empty vessel. But it's really easy to pour out of a full one, isn't it? Not rocket science. So, 2 Peter talks about this. It says that there's diligence involved. Look at verse 5 onwards. But for us also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of God. And of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So what this passage is saying is that we can add to the faith that we start with with these godly virtues. In other words, the more that we draw from God, the more that we relate to God, the more that we commune with God, the greater the capacity will be for us to show brotherly kindness and love. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And where we find that we are self-focused and self-centered, it's normally a reflection of our distance that we've put between us and God in our relationship with him. Because that's the key to seeing a flow out. As I said, unless it's coming in, how is it going to go out? Unless we're receiving, how can we give? Care is part of the freely you have received, freely give. Real care exemplified by paraclesis is journeying alongside, being present when needed and having a posture of availability when not. Because in life, there are certain struggles that you're not meant to face on your own. Bereavement being one classic example. Turmoil in your life, broken relationships. So many things that I could say that you know you need somebody alongside you. 
As much as we receive from God, sometimes we need love with skin on to put an arm around us, to give us a handkerchief when we're weeping, to sit down alongside us and just be silent. Now, those of you who know me know that Liz and I had quite a journey with infertility. 17 years of infertility after we got married until we chose to become adoptive parents. We prayed about this lots. You have no idea how much we prayed about this. We had people praying for us lots. We had people prophesying over us. We had people say to us, come along, it'll happen for you. One day you'll get it. If you'll only just, insert Christian value here, believe, have enough faith, pray more, just give more, just do more, it'll happen for you. So many that took the low cost way. But you know, we had so few that would weep with us. So few that would bear the awkward silences and just sit with us. So few that just were there alongside us. That would share in our disappointment and pain. You know, as human beings, we we want to avoid pain as much as possible. I get that. But entering into somebody else's pain is perhaps one of the greatest ways that you can show genuine compassion and concern. Amen. I'm thankful for those few that did that, that wept with us, that stayed with us. To this day, they remain some of my best friends. And let me ask you, which kind of friend would you prefer in that type of journey? One that pays that high price or one that takes the low cost, almost fob off way? And let me turn that around. Which kind of friend will you be to those going through similar things? Will you stand up and be the person that pays the high price of care? Or will you offer the odd encouraging word from a distance, never really entering into the pain or the suffering of another, but wishing them well as someone who might write you a postcard? I know which one I'd rather be. And I know the kind of price that it's going to take. But for those that God has put in my heart to do that with, I want to be faithful. And my encouragement to you is that you will listen to those that God has put on your heart so that you may be faithful. And faithful may be the wounds of a friend. The times where we need to be challenged and confronted. 
But I thank God for everyone that's come alongside me with that heart of compassion and love and care because they're the ones that have enabled me to grow, to develop, to be all that I'm meant to be in Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 says, again reading from the message, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Now, you may think that that being this kind of Christian, a high-cost Christian, is nigh on impossible. And you're right, in part. Everything I've said so far cannot be done unless the Holy Spirit has the reins of your life. I think this is what God has been saying to us over the last few months, hasn't it, about this wake-up. Rise up, gird up, go ye, message that he's been saying to us. Unless he's there, reigning in our lives, filling us, empowering us, then all of this is just a pipe dream. Because at some stage we're going to enter into compassion fatigue, becoming disillusioned and fed up, wondering whether it's all worth it or not. And unless we're drawing from the Holy Spirit and being filled in those moments, we will have nothing to give. We will be empty. You are at your best. And I am at my best when the Holy Spirit is active and working within us. That's when we're going to see fruit That's when we're going to see fruitful relationships. That's when we're going to see the power of God active. That's when we're going to see the mercy of God active. That's when we're going to be genuine comforters to one another. Uplifters, builders, encouragers, supporters. And the enemy of that is self-centeredness. Being obsessed with me, myself and I, which will inevitably choke. It will just choke your ability to discern, to respond and be sensitive to the opportunities that God puts in your path. And we've all been there and done that. Passed by the other side. I want us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that we increase our awareness of others. The struggles that we all face. Genuinely. Do we actually share the struggles that we have? Or are we still afraid and insecure? Are we still cowering behind fear which says, I cannot let you know the real me in case you reject me, in case I am unacceptable. 
If you're still bound by that type of fear, you'll never let anybody get alongside you close enough to be able to support you, to be able to minister to you, to be able to care for you. It'll always be relational at a superficial level that will never really meet the needs of your heart. Nor will it allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do within that relationship. So there is a side of this whereby we need to get beyond our ego into a degree of humility that says, here am I, warts and all. Will you love me? Will you love me with a love that God has for me? Will you accept me and not reject me? Even if I don't look right, even if I don't sound right, even if I'm not like you, will you accept me? And if we can get to that place within our relationships as a body of believers, I'm telling you, this thing will just go nuts. We will have such a unity and such a love amongst us that this will become the safest of all places. Which is what it should be, right? Broken people with a loving God, all worshipping, all coming together to know him more. This should be the safest of all places. But for some I know you perhaps think it's not safe. I can't be me. I can't share what's really on my heart and what I'm really struggling with. Because if they see it, they won't love me. They won't accept me anymore. They'll reject me. No, I want to reject that straight out of hand. If you can't be you here in the midst of the people of God, then we need to change. We need to change. Because as long as we're seeking God, as long as we're wanting to come before him and see our hearts changed, then we can be ministers to one another of that change actually happening. We can be helping one another, pointing towards Jesus Christ so that when we come before him together as brothers and sisters, we can be healed, we can be delivered, we can be set free. Hallelujah. And this is the kind of love that's going to be a witness to the world. It's no coincidence that Jesus says that they will know us by the love that we have for one another. Or know him rather by the love that we have for one another. That's not a coincidence because when this type of uh, self, um, sorry, other centered love takes hold within our hearts, it's so countercultural that it will definitely stand out. You know, the, the, when we're born as natural people, our whole growing up process is about becoming independent. As parents, we celebrate when our kids can do things on our own on their own. But in the kingdom of God, we start out in dependence and we often follow that same pattern. I don't need God anymore. I've got X, Y, and Z. But you know what? The kingdom of God is supposed to be defined by a maturity that goes into greater dependence, ever greater dependence upon the Holy Spirit, the paraclete of God. This is what we'll witness to the world. A people that genuinely know 
how to love one another. And so the answer to get away from self-centeredness is surrender. 1 John 3.16 This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. So I want to invite you to stand once again before the cross of Christ. The way of surrender at the cross, the principle of self-surrender is that of the, the self or the ego being given back to God once again. And we can't really selflessly care for others while we're selfishly holding on to our own interests. We need to put that selfishness into the hands of Christ. Yourself in your own hands is the problem. Yourself in the hands of Christ is the solution. So I want to invite you, come again. Stand before the cross of Christ. Surrender to him afresh. Ask him to mould you and make you. This is not a work of the flesh. You can't will yourself into greater degrees of love. It has to be born from above and worked out. In and out. Hallelujah. But because of his great love for us, we can't withhold from him anything. Not even our very self. But when we surrender, we become free to serve others in his name. Amen? So let's stand together and pray. If you feel led to surrender once again to Christ... To allow him to have your way, his way within you and for you to relinquish your own ways. Then pray this prayer after me. Dear God, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would once again take my life and use it as you will. Enlarge my heart. Fill me with your love that I may be able to love others the way that you love them, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that you will deal with the heart of selfishness and help me to be other-centered in all that I do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If you need further prayer or would like to talk to me about anything, feel free. Otherwise, enjoy fellowship and a nice cup of tea.